<laughs> there's no course, rules. is a much larger company, isn't it? Because it, it owns Domino's yeah. and stuff, you know. Yeah, right. and loads and loads mm-hmm. of soft drinks. Right. It? Quaker Oats, Tropicana, yeah. Orange Juice. Yeah. They have a number yeah. of brands. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Coca-Cola is just beverage. Yeah. Yeah. Because years ago, I was acting for innocent drinks when they sold to Coca-Cola. And the whole reason they sold to Coca-Cola was because they had an orange juice brand. And in the UK... Like, Coke didn't have anything to compete with Tropicana. Mm. Tropicana was, like, way the biggest brand. So they bought Innocent Smoothies, Mm. not really for the smoothies, but for the orange juice. And then (laughs) at the completion meeting, it was back in the days when you normally had proper completion meetings with champagne and everybody there shaking hands and all that kind of thing. And we said to the receptionist, can you go and get a soft drink in case anybody's not drinking champagne? And she came back with a massive carton of Tropicana <laughs> into a room with like oh, no. all the heads, the global heads of Coca-Cola. And it was like, oh, oh shit. No. At least you didn't do Pepsi just that to wind would, them up. That would have been even It'd be worse. worth doing, wouldn't it? <laughs> See if anyone opened one. You fire him on the spot. Okay, we ready? We rolling? Hello and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I am Andy Uri and alongside me is my co-host Pippa Sturt. Hi Andy. Hello Pippa. And today we are joined by David Ricciardi. How are you doing David? I'm doing great Andy. How are you doing? Very well. (laughs) David experience spans more than 30 years building, managing and utilizing large databases in industries as varied as financial, automotive, pharma and healthcare. Fantastic. Um, So David, we'd like to start with a, a simple question, although maybe it's a difficult question is uh, what at the moment would you say is uh, keeping you up at night? <laughs> I think uh, it's a, more of a question of what doesn't keep me up at night. <laughs> mm, so, true. well, I think the biggest thing is, you know, I think what faces most small business owners, it's always, it's always cash flow. You know, yeah. that, that's what it comes down to. So, you know, we've got, uh, we've got good clients, we've got good people, we're doing a lot of good work, but, you know, if they're, somebody pays slowly or... <laughs> Even after, because you, 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 you unusually, you know, you meet so many startups these days and everyone's been in business about 12 minutes or 10 years, but um, you've actually had this company for, for 30 years. So 25 years. 25. Yes, this past July, 25. Wow. So it's wow. been more than a couple of minutes. Did you have a party? Did I? No, we did should've not. Done. I should have done a party. That was the yeah. plan going into the year, but then plans just don't always work out. So Tropicana we'll have a thirty-year party. Yeah, <laughs> and and I mean, even after all that time, you know, cash is king. Really, you're not mm-hmm. sort of you, you. You never get to a place where there's enough in the bank, and you just think, well, it'll be all right. Or that that is the foolish. The foolish approach. I think that's always the foolish approach. I mean, there are times when you may be, you know, more comfortable than others, but, you know, it, it kind of depends on the trajectory of your business. So we've been growing a lot the past couple of years. And, you know, when you're when you're growing, you always need the cash to finance and bring on the new people for the next projects. You know, we're primarily a professional services firm. And so, you know, you're always wondering about what's coming next and, you know, how you're going to finance that. So cash is always, always king. And you, you explained to us one time that for you, um, it's quite high end what you do in terms of you need f- very skilled people. So for you, cash flow is that connected to the sort of I'm going to say it talent war, you know, yes. apparently, <laughs> uh, or you know this you 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 know we've got a sort of perfect storm of situations which you know the one thing that's relieving that storm perhaps is the remote working. But is that is that the challenge for you to permanently attract the best talent and have enough cash to do so? I, I think so. When we go through that that growth period, you know, we're going to you know, bring somebody on, a couple of new people to the team for that project that's going to start 
three months from now, but I'm paying them today. I can't have them start after we're already done because then we're already late. So there, there is that, you know, there's, you know, continuing to invest in people even after you have the right person in the right job. You know, we, we have very, you know, strong retention. We have very low turnover. We've had that for, for many, many years. Because and the job is interesting as well as... The job is interesting. We're always trying to do new things. And we, we do literally try to invest in, in the people with, you know, professionally developing them. So, you know, what can we bring to them throughout the year that, you know, helps them advance their, you know, professional skills and also their, their personal skills? You know, either working with colleagues, working with clients, how do you communicate better? You know, we have... Uh, we really try to get our, our folks as part of a team and working with that team. And, and people really value that, you know, at least as much as they value the money, I think. What does Proximo actually do? What's your kind of bread and butter? Uh, so we deal with data, the three main areas, I think, but it all comes down to either collecting data, understanding data, and then analyzing the data. And I think that's the, the bread and butter. You can collect it, but, you know, what do we actually do with it that helps our customers gain insights into their business? And it's like, it's like the most important question, almost of modern society, but it's also, it, it's like an accountant's job. It's very, very detailed sort of cleaning data. You've got to do these things very, very carefully. It's, you know, they always like, you know, they always mention small countries and say, oh, how wonderful it's run and stuff. And it's like, look, there's a big difference between the database having a million people in it and having, you know, 300 million, you know. And do you find your your job, though, is to technically build uh, databases? And thank you for saying data, not data. It really helps. <laughs> <laughs> when you're wrong. Or, or would you, you would do the whole thing like, we need, you know, to, how can I describe it? People are always trying to sort of move to this wonderful central database. Is that the sort of jobs you get involved in? Or Well, we can get into this. This can go down quite a few rabbit holes. But you know, the centralization of data is, is one thing, but I would actually call it the accessibility of data. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you physically put it all in one place may or may not be the right idea, but you need to be able to bring it from wherever it is so that you can integrate it together and analyze it so that you get those understandings. Otherwise, it's you know like looking you know at a picture of, of London through like a, a pinhole. <laughs> you're not going to see London. You're just going to see a building if you're lucky. Do you despair? Is there a piece of you that despairs about the quality of databases? Do you, do you, ever, do you ever work for someone who's like, you know, the medical authority who should know and it's like... I don't think despair is quite the, the yeah, right word. Strong. <laughs> There's always hope. <laughs> There's always hope, Andy. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, listen, I mean, data, you know, can be very difficult to deal with, especially given the the type of data uh, that you're dealing with. We work with a lot of like supply chain data and suppliers and vendors are, you know, it's it's, it's a very notoriously difficult set to deal with. But there are other things that, that can fall into that same category. But I always look at it, don't worry about the quality, you know, at a point in time. You just have to understand where it is today put a plan in place to make it better. And if it's better tomorrow, you've done well, and then try to make it better the day after that. Don't worry about perfect data because it's, you know, that's that's just a fool's game. <laughs> but it, you know, and it's also that the perfect can be the enemy to the good. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. at my last firm, we had a client database and it never actually launched because it was never quite right. And never perfect, you know, yes. And so for three years, we were tinkering with this thing and it never went anywhere. And do businesses generally call you in, probably a bit like they do a professional advisor, they call us in and say, I've got a VAT problem and really they've got lots of other problems really. But is that the kind of thing they say, I need to know this. Right. 
And then you've got a team of very skilled people in different database languages, I imagine, and, and sort of highly experienced to say, right, here's, it, it, I can imagine it being like sort of the A team of data of sort of like, right, team, here's the plan. You know, you've we've got Hannibal. You've so got, massively. We've we got Mr. T. <laughs> he's the one who deals with the really big databases. Mad you know? Murdoch. Mad Murdoch. Mad he's Murdoch. the one who deals with the ones no one understands, you know. <laughs> but is it a bit like that? You sort of pull, you know, you, you build your name, a, a reputation for yourself that the, the leads often come from a very specific angle? Is that... It, it does, yeah. Usually it starts with, you know, an end question, like you said. You know, that's where everybody's trying to, to get to. You know, they're answering something for an industry, they're answering something for their firm, whatever it happens to be. And, you know, and then you, you start to peel it back a little bit and you realize, great, that's where you want to get to. But you didn't really notice all of these other problems over here, which we'll have to address First, but you have the same job as us, then, which is managing clients' expectation on cost. You know, they come in and they start. Well, you know, you're making it too complicated. I'm sorry, I'm describing my clients very badly. You know, I only wanted you to do X, and you're like, yeah, but I, I don't know client, how deep the I water is. I literally had a client phone me today who has has entered into an advanced subscription agreement and now wants to issue shares. And I said, you'll need a written resolution, some board minutes and a deed of materials. What? So <laughs> many documents. This is ridiculous. <laughs> like, I've just told you about three documents that's going to take two minutes to do. But how do you, I mean, in tax and stuff, I try and, what I try and do is break it down into steps of someone to say, okay, well, we'll, we'll get here. And then, we'll, and then that will cost X, and we won't be anywhere near there. But we'll be, we'll have a bit more. Is that the right. same sort of? It, it actually is very, very similar, right? Yeah. Because you know, we were when we talk about data, and we've been kind of implicitly talking about data quality here and things like that. You, it's always a, a program, is the way we would view it. We would call it like a data governance program if you're looking at incrementally improving quality of of data, and we call it a program, not a project, because. It's, you know, when people ask sometimes, when are we done with data quality? And it's like, when you're out of business, that's the answer. <laughs> so as long as you're in business, you're always going to be managing that. Yeah. So it's, it's often incremental and it can be a project that leads to another project and you continually build on and so you have a wonderful, you know, edifice of data. <laughs> you sound so thrilled by data. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's what I do. <laughs> I mean, it's similar to our job accountants. It's, you know, a wonderful a edifice of numbers. For the business versus bullshit, I think there is a very obvious subject, which is, what do you feel about diversity quotas? So I think the term quota is not the right term to use. There are quotas in, in certain places, but I don't think quotas are really the direction that most corporations move towards. I think even the states where there is things around diversity, they don't really have quotas so much as goals, which then you're meant to exceed. Quotas can act as a floor. And I think that's not the way to look at it. And the other thing is, you know, when you talk about quotas, you're also saying, well, we must bring somebody in to do this, no matter whether the right person or not. And and that's really not best practice. So when we talk about diversity, it's really more around opportunity and inclusion. So, you know, bringing in and taking a look at folks that you might not normally have reached out to in the past and just giving them a shot. And if they're the best, they win. And if they're not the best, they won't win. So it's much more around opportunity than Here's you need your two people or you need your one supplier or whatever it happens to be. So how do you deal with that thing that, I mean, I think we all, all know is there the kind of unconscious bias that even if you give people the opportunity to interview for a job, the interviewers are going to end up picking the person that's most like them. Most like them, right, right, exactly. You, you know, and yeah. 
frankly, as a lawyer, I've seen so many law firms where literally you can count the diversity, you know, on less than one hand mm-hmm. right. because everyone's a middle-aged white man. Right, right. Law is known for that. Yeah. <laughs> so how, yes. how do yeah. you, you know, have you got any solution to that problem? I, I oh, if I had Sorry, a solution that to that problem, really that's mean. a big question. So fast. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on, let me let's solve the world's problems right now. So I can give you some a small perspective on hiring and diversity. A lot of what we, my company does a lot of work around diversity, but it's usually supply chain diversity. You know, we, but I do, you know, what we do at Proximo is we do try to, you know, hire from a diverse pool of candidates. And there's certain things you have to do to go out and reach the right people. And um, you have to look in places that you normally haven't looked before. And and the other thing is you have to I, you have to see through certain things that I, I think are some of the impediments that we have. Some of those unconscious bias things, like I might draw a line around education, for instance, and there's nothing wrong with education. We, you know, we, we need educated people. We need people working our, our firms that are like that. But sometimes you're looking at the type of school or you're looking at their background. Well, I need somebody that, you know, had to have four years of computer science and ideally they have a master's and I would like them to come from this type of school when I don't think any of that really matters. I've met lots of folks in technology that have come from lots of different backgrounds and they succeed, you know, very well. So I think you have to get past things like that. You have to get past, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe the way in which people communicate, you know, there's, there's perhaps an ideal communication and then there's, you know, you know, what would be good enough for the role that they've, they've got. And, you know, I think we all tend to look for, you know, things that meet certain criteria that really don't lead to success. And if you focus on the success and work backwards from there, you can wind up opening your, your mind a little bit. I guess the communication is an interesting one. I mean, if we think of, I'd, I'd like to talk about the supply chain because it's the first time I heard of it is when we met you. So I find that really interesting. But I mean, the simple example of is always recruitment, isn't it? And I would totally agree on education, but I find education, and it's a frustration of my own, you get a pile of 100 CVs, you need a way to sort them. An easy way to sort them is to say, okay, we need it, you know, in this country, it'd be A-levels, which is when you T1. do 18 or we T1. So for years in this firm, mainly because I didn't get a 2-1, and a lot of the most interesting people I know didn't get 2-1s because they were too busy having a great time at university. Or, or what course did they did? I did engineering. It was a nightmare. My friends did these super easy things, you know. I saw them, they didn't know work. I had to work all the time and I still got a 2-2. Two, two. My brother-in-law did engineering. Yeah, it's, it's, it's medicine, like, off the charts. But, you know, I think it's a sort of... Uh, I, I, I remember doing this in a job. They had 500 CVs for this one job and he just said, right, you know, I don't want anyone. It's just an easy way of sorting CVs. Yeah, but CVs. this is the problem. If you've got hundreds and hundreds of applicants, you've got to do some basic... Heavy sorting yeah. just to get it down to a... So give me the clever ones is the theory, but you're not necessarily sorting the clever ones. It's tough, you're right, because you have to look, the way we do it is, you know, and we, we are not hiring, you know, hundreds of people. We're hiring, you know, I mean, a, a few people a year, you know, is what yeah. we do. So we can be a little bit more targeted. Um, but, you know, we're, I'm looking at the, the, the resume, you know, just to see what it is that they've actually done. I'm looking for something like, you know, a special type of experience. And I actually don't look beyond the first page. I, uh, <laughs> and I hear in the US, they shouldn't be more than one page. A lady we spoke to is a New York originally moved, no, Chicago originally moved here. So I couldn't, she said, I couldn't believe it. All your CVs are four pages long and things. I, I'm used to seeing a lot of those from around the world. We, we do try to go to skinny resumes and I get routinely ones that are much larger, but I don't read past the first page, maybe the second page. 
go, going about things from a different angle. You know, I remember my therapist telling me that and, and to not just stop going out with crazy women. And like every woman, he was like, <laughs> okay, so, all right, you did the same thing again, did you? Right, okay. So have you thought about doing something different? And I, like, I'm like, oh my God, I never even, because that's, it's like patterns of behavior. It's like, it's what I'm attracted to. It's like, you know, I like crazy people, you know, or whatever. But it's it's quite hard to do. I mean, let's let's go into a little bit of like you, you so supply chain diversity you're really into, which is... The concept behind what's called supplier diversity is much like what you see in, in workforce diversity. You know, they, the theory and the academic research shows that, you know, with workforce diversity, having, you know, that different perspective, you know, different people will yield benefits to the business. You know, new, new ways of thinking, more efficiencies. There's a number of, of things that come out of that. So it's, it's really just taking that and we say, well, that's good for our internal workforce. It probably should also be good for our external workforce, which are all of your suppliers, you Know, which in total that can be more people that's executing stuff for your firm than your actual internal Look, workforce. Looking into the internal supplier and saying, have you got a good mix of people? Right. It, it, usually when we talk about the certifications that are out there, whether they're self, I won't get into this too much detail, but whether you're self-certified or third party certified by an agency, uh, it's really around ownership and control. Yeah. Because uh, I was going to say, otherwise I'm going to be crass, but you know, you would look at the website and see how many people are brown or black in this country because that's about all you could tell from a website, and isn't you, it? You know? And that might just might be a stock photo anyway. Also, so. potentially you can tell whether they're male or female. Not always. Yeah, yeah, of course, male, male and female as well. So, okay, so the, there is a way for a company to get a certificate, I assume in this country and in America, to show that the ownership is diverse in terms of all concepts. We're not talking ethnic, race. Um... Yeah, yeah. So in the when you're talking about your diversity, you're 51% or more owned and operated by a specific category. So 51% ah. ethnic minority, for instance, in the UK, 51% or more women or LGBT. Okay. okay. So that that's kind of the, the threshold. But there also, you want a mix of all of those things, don't you? You really want to be 51% all of those things. You, I, I, Well, that math doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, but, I, mean, I know what you mean. <laughs> Technically, a firm that is, you know, has maybe four, you know, owners. And, you know, there's one woman, one ethnic minority, one person with a disability and one LGBT community. Tick. Let's do that. Tick. They could not get certified because nobody is 51% more in one category. Oh, I see. Okay, so you don't smush Is, the is that a problem together. in the system at the moment? You know, there, there's been some discussion about that because this is all driven by, you know, uh, uh, corporations really coming together. So, this isn't a government mandate to do this in the States, for instance, nor is it here. So it it's almost from, like, sorry, you're too diverse because you've got one of everything that's too diverse. You've got to have at least two women or two I guess we're at the start guys. of a journey, aren't we, really? So we haven't got there yet. You're you're at the start of a of a journey. There's a couple of organizations that have been working here for a number of years in the UK, for instance, and it puts the UK in you know as as one of the I say one of the leading countries when it comes to supplier diversity. The US is, you know, very far ahead. Uh, it's very it's well known. It's generally accepted. Um, and then there's a couple of other countries that have done a lot of work. Canada, you know, the the UK as well. But it, it drops off quite a bit after that, where a lot of countries don't understand the concept of, of supplier diversity and sometimes not even diversity at all. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Ori 
Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit, it's more than just survived From complying with the FCA and all things financy They could also speak fluently in the language of legalese Clark was born and raised right here in the UK And now for 20 years they've been helping others get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide Straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935 Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. What would you say to a small and medium-sized business out there about this? Should they sign up to one of these organizations or? Yeah, I I do make that recommendation generally. It's it's a relatively low lift, you know, getting certified. And if you are dealing with corporate you know, uh, customers, you know, if that's your target base, you know, the fortune 500,000, whatever, you know, it is, this will provide you with an area of opportunities if you're willing to work it. Um, like anything else, I, we were talking before, this is about inclusion and opportunity. Nobody's going to come to you and say, oh, good, now you're certified, terrific, here's a contract. Not going to work that way. No diverse business was ever handed anything on a I really on a like when you say that, separate the two things. Look for things in different places, but still pick the best person or the that, best whatever. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly good, right. A really good position. Do you know the name of the UK organization at all? So for ethnic minorities, it's MSD UK. And uh, let's see, For uh, we have Out Britain and Out Scotland, which just launched this summer for LGBT community. There's We Connect International for women-owned businesses. And Disability In, which is based in the States, is doing certifications for people with disabilities here. And there is in the UK a veterans organization, but... Um, I don't recall their name. There is off also the top a tax relief if you hire people straight out of the armed forces. I've heard that they yes. have to come straight mm-hmm. out of the armed mm-hmm. forces. You have to be the first one to give them the job. I can't remember. I think they get get rid of the social security or something for a for year a or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And I mean, disability, I, I always think to myself, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, I don't think any lawyers and accountants actually need, you know, their legs. legs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, do we even need our arms? I don't know. You need a brain. You certainly need one of them somewhere. But do these organizations also get involved in sort of, okay, I want to look somewhere else to find people, you know, because generally the way we're finding people is all the same. Uh, we, we, we look on LinkedIn, we put an ad on LinkedIn and people apply. And there's no, there's no system going here about, my God, they haven't got any legs. We're never going to hire them. I mean, you know, not at all. You would think it's just irrelevant, especially with the Zoom interview. You probably find out at a late moment sort of thing. But I've never not, I mean, I, I, we do have people with disabilities, but it's not like there's, you know, lots of people applying. Do you know what right, I mean? Right, right. Disabilities is one of those things where there's, you know, unlike ethnic minorities, for instance, or, or being a woman where it's, you know, obvious, there's a lot of invisible disabilities. Yeah. So, and the only one in terms of hiring, all those organizations I gave are really focused on the, the diverse supplier. So the yeah. supplier ownership being, you know, certified diverse. Disability, and at least in the States, they also, they started as a, as, a, as a jobs organization. So they have this whole fair that they do for people with disabilities and corporations show up with like, you know, a lot of HR folks and they actually hire people on the spot. So they've actually, they're like a hybrid organization. I don't think they're doing anything like that in the UK, but I, I could see that coming in the future. 
Okay, so uh, quick fire questions. Uh, we're going to have 10 questions as quick as we can. I'll be ready. Let's go, Pippa. What was your first job? Oh, uh, my first job ever. I think I was selling boxes uh, for resorts. Uh, those little places that you put like uh, little strips of paper in with your name and address to, yeah. you know, win like a timeshare or something like that. I was selling those throughout da- delis on Long Island. A database-driven <laughs> business, actually, underneath it. Um, what was uh, what was your worst job? Oh, that would. Uh, all of these are pre-professional career, but I worked in a refrigeration unit of a supermarket. Oh, did you get frostbite? Six cold weeks, feet. Cold ter- feet. Terribly sick. <laughs> Had oh, to leave wow. the job. Yes. Wow, that's a really difficult job. Favorite subject at school? Um, I would say that was probably my history classes. Damn straight. Really? <laughs> Pippa approves. I, pr- I approve this message. Okay. Yeah. Um, what, uh, very briefly, what was the? Uh, why do you like history? Always, always in- enjoyed history because it's you know really everything that's happened to us. There's a lot of lessons to be you know learned from yeah. from that. You know if we pay attention to it, that is. If you don't pay attention to history, you're you doomed to repeat, repeat it. it. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Churchill. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't think so. I think it's yeah, one we of attribute the everything things. to Churchill anyway. Yeah. Him or Oscar Wilde. Uh, what's your special skill? Um, oh, I'm really good with people. Okay, yes, right. I like to talk to people. People like to talk to me, and that's a <laughs> very that's an excellent <laughs> skill. What did you want to be when you grew up? An astronomer. Did you really? Nice. <laughs> did you have a telescope? Uh, I did at one point, yes. And so I was going to be an astronomer all the way up to my senior year in high school. And then I was watching a movie that we had in my astronomy class. And do you remember Carl Sagan? Yes. Way back. And there was a, him and a bunch of astronomers were sitting around a table much like this with a, a single photograph all black, and they were m- amazed at what they were looking at. And I looked up and I said, I can't do that for a living. They were sitting around a table sharing salaries and you thought, oh my God. <laughs> what did your parents want you to be? Um, I, think, I think almost anything. <laughs> my dad wanted me to go into um, computer science. So that's, and that's, that is where I went into, so. Wise choice. Your dad was a little ahead of the game he, there. He was, yeah. yes. <laughs> What's your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> You've never heard me sing, so you don't want to hear me do karaoke. So I, w- I would say I don't have a karaoke song because I, I do don't sing. Do you have sing. one that you sing in the car? I would sing uh, Where the Streets Have No Name by U2. Oh. I'm a huge U2 fan, but you can also catch me singing Stronger by Cher sometimes. So <laughs> Office dogs. Where's he gone? Business or bullshit? Oh, dogs. As somebody that telecommutes, so I even work from home myself, uh, the dog is part of the (laughs) the daily routine. I I was thinking, I haven't even checked with David. He's not allergic or something, but, you know, anyway. I am pro-dog. Pro-dog, fantastic. Have you ever been fired? No, I never have. Uh, And what's your vice? (laughs) Nothing that I care to say on recording. (laughs) (laughs) Most British people, it's alcohol, but, you know. Um, that's it. We've done the questions. So, I mean, this is this is just your moment to explain, um, yeah, I guess the company or if people want to get in touch with you, you know, a little more about that would be great. Yeah, I'd be happy to kind of talk about that. So, you know, we at uh, Proximo, like I said, we deal with data. And so, you know, we help our customers with, you know, the three key things. So we do a lot of work around analytics and business intelligence, which is basically helping you to answer 
questions that nobody has been able to give you a good answer for. And uh, the second thing that we deal with is a lot of data warehousing and integration. So bringing that data together so that we can use it for answering questions. And then the third area is uh, data strategy and data governance. So it's more focused on people and process than the technology, but it all goes into having a good data ecosystem. So everything we do is around one of those things. We have a line of business around diversity analytics specifically as a, as a subline. But you know, if anybody wants to reach me to ever talk about data, I'm happy to, I've been speaking about this for two hours now. So yeah. <laughs> You've done well. I'm happy to talk about it. So you can reach me at, uh, you can just go to proximo.com uh, and uh, and take a look at us and our contact information is on there. You can drop a, an email to info at proximo.com um, and that will eventually find its way to me pretty quickly because I won't spell my name for your audience since there's too many vowels that are in it. <laughs> and pro- what is the name Proximo? Does it mean anything? It, it does. In Spanish, it means next. Um, when, ah. I, when I started the company back in 97, I, I liked the idea of being the next thing. But in the States, we had the next corp, which was uh, Steve Jobs, the company he founded after yes, he got blown out of Apple. and they made that, that computer that didn't really work, but was groundbreaking. They you know? did. They had a number of, of interesting things and that Pixar came out of that and all that other stuff. So all I did was switch languages to yeah. Spanish. Yeah, so and that's a where good Proximo idea came if somebody's from. taken mm-hmm. Proximo. your idea. You just right. come up with something. Switch languages, languages. yes. Languages. I'm right. trying to say yes in Spanish. I can't even remember how to say yes. Hola. No. See. See. Hola is hello. Yeah. Right. No. <laughs> Christ, we're useless at Spanish in this country, even though we go on holiday. So there we have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. And we'll be back with BWB Extra on Thursday. Until then, it's ciao. 